Let's get freaky with Jesus Freak. Jesus Freaks. Let's get our Jesus Freak on. Does anyone ever use that one? I bet I'm the first person to ever use that. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Way too long. Way too. What's, what's going to be funny is people who listen to this while driving and they're like turning up the volume to hear us and then we go to like normal speech and then now like right now we've probably caused a car accident. Probably. A few of them. A few hundred. Uh, we are not liable for <laughs> your your driving, your distracted driving. Uh, we, we do not claim any responsibility for automotive uh, damage to you or uh, members of your community provided that you um, couldn't handle our bad joke. Yeah, maybe vote for someone who supports universal health care. I, I mean, well, Mike does not apply to him because uh, oh. he lives in uh, where they have that. So, right. well, yeah, that must be nice. Must be nice. I'm sure he will tell us. It's Although, nice. according to Tucker Carlson, half the population comes down here for health care. So I don't know. Mike comes down here for health care, right? Like that's. <laughs> anyway, hi. <laughs> We're back. Um, we are back. Another edition of Music Mayhem, and uh, this week we did something. This is turning out to be a weird Music Mayhem. Why do you think it's weird? Well, because you know we're we're uh, you know we're 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 down a we're down a co-host. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um. For you know, just we're down a co-host, mm -hmm. and uh, it's um. On top of that, like guests, we were going to have, you know, we were going to have a guest, but that, it, it, you know, there's conflicts, you know, people are working, people, you know, this isn't our full-time job. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, so we're just having, I, I mean, I like it. I like that it's just you and me, man. We're stripping it down to the basics, yeah, you know? Totally. It's, like, it's, it's like, like where the Beatles at the end of their career, oh, that's a bad thing. I shouldn't say that <laughs> yeah. at the end of our career. But, you know, we like the Beatles trying to, you know, strip back to, get back to what we, what we used to be, you know? Well, it's like it's like uh, Nirvana Unplugged in New York, you know. That's right, right, right. And so that means that the remainder of this will be us talking about meat puppets. <laughs> My favorite thing to talk about, 
In fact, I think we're going to make a meat puppet right now. <laughs> I think uh, it would be hilarious if uh, we just had Pat Samir randomly just around. <laughs> yeah, he's in my shed playing guitar and just like just waiting for a cue. I just remember what I saw because the first time I'd ever seen him on anything was um, in the video for Monkey Wrench. And I remember watching later. I mean, I probably had seen Unplugged before, but I hadn't really paid attention to the, you know, and I didn't really know who everyone was. And I remember watching it and seeing Pat Smear playing in the background. I'm like, whoa, that's the guy from Monkey Wrench. What's he, mm. what's he doing there? How come I can't recall the Monkey Wrench music video? Uh, it's the one where it's like filmed through a peephole and it's like a red room and they're playing quite aggressively. Huh. Uh, Dave Pearl spits in, uh, into the camera at one point, which is sort of a... Hmm. I just can't recall it for some reason. I'm uh, pretty sure Pat Smear is in a black turtleneck. I might have seen it. I just don't remember. It's just not uh, not hitting me. Hmm. It's a good song. I actually kind of forgot about that song until <laughs> I just mentioned it. It's a great song. Um, but uh, yeah, it is kind of a weird one. Um, I don't know. We're, we're, uh, the selection so far has been really interesting. Yes. Um... I don't think it's that far out that we're used to, maybe. But uh, I don't know. I feel like we have a better grasp, perhaps, on what we like and what we want to listen to. Like, kind of what constitutes a good Music Mayhem album. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, because there's definitely stuff that we could talk about, or what we could listen to, but it's not good for talking about. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but I think you chose a good album to talk about today. <laughs> Although yes. I don't, I don't exactly know how we're handling this. Are we handling it as if like you chose the album and I'm asking you the questions, or are we, we doing it sort of like are we just gonna just gonna I don't know? We collectively chose this album. Yeah. So to ask each other, we ask ask each other why we chose this album. <laughs> that works. I like it. Why you chose it? Why I agreed to to choose it? Yeah, there we go. Because it was your that idea. Works. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you, Chuck. Why we're, this week? Okay. Well, this week. Intro. We're talking about Jesus Freak by DC Talk. A monster album. A monster album. This is pretty long. I did notice that. Well, I'm not talking about like length. I'm talking about the impact that it had. Yeah. And I'm beginning to notice that as well. And I think that the reason why so many youth pastors in my youth dressed like the guy from Everclear was probably because of this album. Yes. Yeah. If you look at the back cover... You're you're looking at you're looking at every twenty something of the nineties, right? I'm every pretty sure something male nineties. I'm pretty sure this is what like inspired the evangelical suburban youth culture. Without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, I get that now. I think I do. So, DC Talk, Jesus Freak, Chuck, why did you choose this album for this strange episode? Well, I have wanted, I have been flirting with choosing this album every Music Mayhem. Yeah. Um, you know, because we, you know, we, 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 we are, a, we are, a, I don't want to say that we are a Christian podcast. We are a sort of a, a Christian adjacent podcast. Sure. A Jesus y podcast. We're not the kind um, of Christian podcast where you're like, you're, you're being a Christian by listening to it, if that makes sense. Right. It's not, it's not a Christian act to listen to our podcast. Correct. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, 
Maybe. I, 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 you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to avoid the cliche that you heard from all the tooth and nail records bands during okay. the 90s that were all like, we're not a Christian band. We're Christians in a band like yeah, yeah. that's that's not what we are, which, by the way, is um, um, DC Talk responded to that with um, uh, what song was it off their Supernatural album? Um, I can't remember now. But anyway, um I will just say so, that real quick. I do think if if we did embrace that we are religious broadcasting, I think we'd be pretty pretty new and exciting. But that's just my my opinion. I, I actually I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> that's until we get baseball. too far up. Until we get far up our own okoles <laughs> with uh, our what our brand is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh. And then yeah. Anyhow, that's, that's continue anyway, so um, so I've, I've wanted to pick this album, Every Music Mayhem. Um, a couple years ago, Matt picked G- DC Talks Supernatural, which I was very disappointed in that choice because I have hated that album for a very long time. <laughs> um, because I feel like I feel like Jesus Freak is a masterpiece and such a masterpiece for that band that talking about anything else they did is just sort of why hmm. um but it was fun to talk about it was fun to talk about supernatural we did get that great bit where we learned that the song red letters would work as the opening to a bond film and right. we made and matt made the video until it was taken down um which is very funny um but i um but jesus freak is i so i, I i've wanted to talk about it because for a variety of reasons one because of the impact that it had on christian music um, in a lot of ways, this is Christian music's like Sergeant Pepper. Hmm. And I'm, and I don't think that that's an, I, I that's not hyperbole. Uh, when you talk to other Christian, you know, people in the Christian music world, they will talk about Jesus freak as this really eye opening experience to have heard it for the first time. Um, this was the album that introduced me to rock music and to grunge, really? um, in particular, because I, had, I, 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 you know, I was, let's see, I was in seventh grade when this album came out and I had only, I mean, I'd listened to like Weird Al and stuff. So I was aware of rock music by virtue to that, but like, I didn't know, I didn't always know like what Weird Al was parodying, right? I didn't. My mom listened to oldies radio and Christian radio. Like that's all we, I grew up hearing. So I didn't really have, you know, and then, and then occasionally she'd listen to mix 105.1. So I was aware of some of the, you know, like Tracy Chapman and Paula Cole and stuff like that. That was, that was out there. Um, you know, sort of adult contemporary hits or whatever, mm-hmm. but I was never really, um, I was not really at that point exposed to modern rock other than what I occasionally picked up from like, going ice skating with my friend Josh when you hear Green Day's, you know, basket case play or, you know, we'd hear like Lisa Loeb's stay or stuff like that. So, um, so I, and, and, and I hadn't really cultivated my own musical tastes really at that point. Um, I listened to movie soundtracks and I listened to Weird Al. Um, you know, so that, that explains a lot about early Chuck psychology. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, uh, I, so I mentioned that because it was toward the end. It was you know springish time. I was with my little seventh grade girlfriend Jennifer. We went on a date that my mom chaperoned us on to I think it was Old Town in Kissimmee, 
And while we were there, we wandered our way into a family Christian bookstore that was there. And we were just sort of looking around and I heard Jesus freak. Hmm. And I said, what is this? I have to learn more about this. And the guy at the store pointed me over to like this big like cardboard display. So like it had just come out and it was like really like, you know, hitting. And there was just the sound of that Jesus of the song Jesus Freak just grabbed me instantly. I remember saying to my mom, I want this. And my mom, it was like the, the first musical choice I had ever made in my life to buy this CD. And, um, you know, of like my own discerning, I hear this, I must have this. And because it was Christian, my mom was like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, I, I, I will encourage this. So I bought it and I I listened to the hell listen the hell out of this thing. I don't know if you can really say that about a Christian record, but like I just you know, so I listened to it a lot and um you know, so it, this is the this and I shared this story. I know I'm getting, getting ahead of our question answering thing, but I share this story because I have such a deep personal connection to this record. But when I've talked to people of our peer group who were into Christian music, they have similar stories to tell that there was, this came out at a time when a certain generation of us were starting to develop our own musical taste, particularly a generation of Christians who grew up well into that Christian ghetto, Christian bubble environment where pretty much everything that we had listened to was a Christian, like a Christian version of just something that was already out there. Right. This record actually turned out to not only be an instance of Christian alternative rock, but one of the rare instances where a Christian band was actually trying to do something creative and new on their own, I think. Because the idea of blending rap and grunge rock was not a widespread thing at the time. And so, and so for like a Christian who had not heard of anything, because Rage, Rage wasn't even like really on wide radio play by this point, I don't think. No. I don't think Bulls on Parade was really. I think Bulls on Parade because that was like their big song that sort of broke them on the, yeah, on the popular charts. Um, anyway, point being, you're taking you have a group of people who grew up not hearing non-Christian music to not only hear something like this and not only hear. Like this was this was like a seismic shift for is what I'm trying to say. Okay. And this came out at a very interesting time where three big Christian records came out around the same time, which was uh, Jesus Freak, uh, Jars of Clay's first album, and um, um, Newsboys' Take Me to Your Leader. Like, and then I guess people would argue that Audio Adrenaline's record around the same time was a big deal, but I never liked Audio Adrenaline. Sorry, Michael Tate. I know that you now sing for Audio Adrenaline, but oh no, no, sorry, it's uh, Kevin Max who sings for audio adrenaline now but yeah. never really liked them um michael bay can't michael, michael tate can't hear you he's at a trump rally michael tate is uh with newsboys is he really a trumpster oh yeah oh no yeah there's definitely a picture of him and a bunch of other um prosperity types praying over trump on stage oh no okay We'll get we, we get talk about this kind of stuff later. But anyway, <laughs> I picked this album because I thought it would be good to talk about because it had such a big seismic shift um, in our culture. And I kind of also assumed that you had had a similar experience with this record, but you did not. So this nope. is kind of your introduction to it, which is sort of fascinating to me. It, it, 
it is. I wish I could say as my introduction into uh, uh, DC Talk, it was not. <laughs> Supernatural oh, was my introduction, was introduction to DC Talk. <laughs> Supernatural was my introduction to DC Talk. Oh, really? How did I miss that? <laughs> well, last, last, was that time we listened to it for this show. So I, I don't know why I missed that that was your introduction to DC Talk. <laughs> I would just say my introduction, but like the first time I listened to a DC Talk album by itself, you know. So why did you agree to this then? Um, I guess just the, um, idea of it being like a, kind of like a Christian curiosity thing. Yeah. A kind of artifact from evangelicalism in the nineties, which is interesting because I feel like in that moment in time, a little bit going forward, Christianity, uh, maybe just, or maybe just CCM, I don't know. They're really sort of swinging for uh trying to trying to break into mainstream right like i just remember that just being like a communal effort like you know we got to get we got to get christian music and christian media on mtv and the and the billboards and uh, you know i don't know i mean i don't understand why 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 uh you're so obsessed with that <laughs> um i mean it's, it, i think it was sort of a i think it's a similar mindset to the idea of like the way comic book fans like want, want to see their favorite comics made into TV shows or movies, especially movies. Yeah. There's sort of this sense that like your thing is being accepted. It's no longer weird, but at the same time, there's this backlash to that because when the normies embrace the thing you love, there's that inherent feeling that it's watered down and yeah. lost what's special. Well, but it's also but, like, it, it, like comic books were only read by nerds, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a like a like a, a powerful force in the media before it went mainstream. You know, Christianity has always been mainstream. It's just not on the billboards, and it's not on MTV. So it's like, I don't know. It's weird. Right, which, it's a weird validation like, they wanted. It is. I mean, the thing that the things that is weird about the Christian recording world, you don't have. There's not like a there's not like a Jewish rock <laughs> industry. If there's only. not a, huh? If only. But I'm just saying. Like I remember my mom. My mom once was uh, was uh, some. Sh- shop she frequented this was i think i was like in college and um the woman who um ran the shop had mentioned that her daughter that her daughter and her friends had put together sort of like a girl vocal group and um and so like my mom was like oh, i'll buy their cd like five bucks or something so we bought it. she put it on the car and we realized that it was like jewish teeny bop <laughs> like they were doing it was it was like it was sort of a Jewish adjacent thing to Christian rock. And we were just sort of like, wow, this, you know, this, we hadn't seen something like this. You know, that's, that's what uh, Rick Moranis has been doing. He put out a, um, a Hebrew folk music album. Yeah. A few years ago. Or it's like, no, he describes it as like Hebrew country music. Okay. Strange. I listened to a few tracks. It's, it's weird. Maybe we should put that on the wheel. Oh, Oh, I have so many like ideas that. for the wheel this year. That... Stings weird ass like medieval <laughs> loot music. 
Yeah, and uh, 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 Christopher Lee's metal album. Christopher Lee's metal album is awesome. By the way, I introduced my boys to Lord of the Rings last night. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's kind of. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself talking about the whole like you know, uh, yeah. Christian media and stuff. Uh, well, but I, but, but I, I brought the I brought the nerd thing in real quick because I just wanted to note that the Christian the Christian recording industry does the same thing. They get really weirded out when Christian like there's sort of this there's this attitude of like we want Christians to be in the mainstream. Like we want Christian songs on the radio because we want to get the message of Jesus out or whatever. But then once a Christian breaks into the mainstream, a Christian musician, there's like this thing that they've oh they've watered down their message and they're no longer Christian anymore. Right. They're more interested in fame than they are Jesus. And like almost immediately it happens in this immediate backlash. Like I think I mentioned last week or week before there was like a big deal that happened at the at the Dove Awards, which is the Christian Grammys, um, that the Dove Awards had to like hastily rewrite their criteria of, of like song of the year or whatever, because because um, uh, initially it had done it was based off of sales and Sixpence None the Richer, Richer's cover of Kiss Me mm-hmm. um, or was the cover? Yeah. Or I guess it was their song. They had created they'd written a, a song for was a city of angels soundtrack was it kiss me was for and it had won based off of sales no that was and, wasn't it but there's hold on i want to address this question things i hate about you no 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 um racially kirk yeah 10 things i hate about, or no, um she's, she's all that. that yes that's right written by so, Shyamalan. That's right, they did um they i think they did the laws cover of there she goes for like city of angels or something anyway that's right um but they, um, but they wrote this. They had this song on there, and it's not Christian in the sense of it talks about Jesus, right? It's it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a romance song, right. but it's recorded by a Christian recording industry like group, and so uh, that actually of all of them got the most mainstream success, mm-hmm. and um, and so the 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 Christian recording industry like before the Dove Awards that year hastily rewrote their rules to say that the song has to be about Jesus. So basically like it, it's their way of kind of saying like, you know, it can never, it can never really be on secular radio because it has to be so overtly about Jesus. Um, And it is a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I think that we should talk more about as we talk about this album, but, um, but I just want to just, that that gatekeeping stuff happens. It's very weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's why I, I kind of agreed to go along with it. Also, I've, I've never heard of it. And, and DC Talk, I don't know. Like, you know, when I was a kid, Chuck, in 95 when this came out, I wasn't listening to Christian music. I was listening to, like, Top 40. I pretty much made up my, my world. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. know, those, like, Top 40 radio stations. I, I was very familiar with Casey Kasem. <laughs> um, and uh, just whatever was popular that was that was just what i listened to i didn't start like trying trying to actively listen to christian music until my junior year in high school when i started going to a private christian school and i remember just being like once i had gotten into that youth culture just being like overwhelmed with all of the music they listened to and just not even knowing like where to start and also how much it just was, it was like, just, just padded, padded the environment where it's just like a, like a, like a plaster and, and, and the evangelical bubble, <laughs> you know? See, and, I think, 
I just want to really, I think your evangelical experience is a little bit different than mine too, in that like your evangelical experience, like your youth group was the kind of youth group where it was like, like, oh, the kids are into it. So like, let's, let's, let's advance it. Like, let's, let's, let's put it up there and like, Hey man, this is what you should listen to. Like, this is cool. Right. There's like an encouragement to listen to groups like DC talk or whatever. Oh, yeah. Whereas in my church, my church was fundamentalist mm-hmm. where the, like the, like rock music, any form, even Christian rock was considered bad. And so there was, so even, so like like DC Talks Jesus Freak was still something that I'd have to cut, like have to sort of defend weird from church leaders. Yeah. I mean, I I remember going to uh, night of joy for the first time with my school and the first time I hung out with Matt, by the way, and um, our group of friends went and I remember like they have my, they had these like, VHS tapes they were just all contemporary Christian music videos but they're all like for teenagers and they would just put that into the VHS the the, the VCR in, in our bus that had like TVs come down and like that's what we had to watch on the way to Disney World whenever we were going on any kind of field trip that music was just always in rotation mm. and I hated it <laughs> and I, I did not like it because I knew what they were doing I knew what they were doing and uh, and for them it was like that's like just, that's just what life is right like they put on the the Christian music you listen to that, that's just part of who you are this was like brand new to me I'm like I don't listen to this music I've never heard these people before I don't really like them it all kind of See, sounds that, yeah yeah that's it that's was so of, interesting like I guess for me like this was this was me I guess at some point trying to meet my people halfway yeah hmm. whereas for you it was like. Oh no! Here's the culture that you're now supposed to adopt. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. I was I was trying to adopt a culture, and you could, and I wish Matt were here because he was kind of holding my hand through that whole process, like introducing bands to me and stuff. And I was just like, "Don't like it." Next, and he put another one, like, "Don't like it." Next, <laughs> and um, I don't know. It was weird, but even though I I did kind of get into like Newsboys and stuff, especially since I saw them in concert at Night of Joy. Um, they were pretty cool and they got like their greatest hits album. I just listened to that for a long time, but then I got really bored with it and I just kind of like, I stopped caring about trying to be part of like a Christian youth scene. And yeah. I just, I just had to listen to, you know, pop music and pop punk and went back we to should, my horror movies. We should listen. I think we should also at some point talk about taking to your leader, newsboys, taking to your leader or, or one of those. Cause I think seven boys... microphone is, is the, uh, that's one with the entertaining angels. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. But that's actually step to the microphone. I think it's their greatest hits. No, oh. shine the hits is the greatest hit. So okay. step to the microphone is the one after taking to your leader. I think shine the hits is the one that I had. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what they all are. <laughs> I've never heard a whole actual album. Um, but what I love them yeah. because they're just so weird. Like they, like they just. I guess because they're from Australia, mm-hmm. they they're not. That's they're, they're one of the few Christian bands. I feel like they're not trying to sound like anyone else. They're just trying to be newsboys. Yeah, and, and and what weirdness is there? And they're just weird. They're a weird band. And the more, yeah. I, like, I used to think that Joy Electric, which is a bleep bloop synthesizer based band, I used to think Joy was Joy Electric was really weird. But then I found that he's just ripping off, he was more or less ripping off Kraftwerk. Like the more I get around to like, and I occasionally get around to listening to Newsboys, I'm like, no, they are legitimately weird. Yeah. Sorry, but, um, but my my introduction to DC Talk was, um, when that movie Extreme Days came out. We're living, we're living, we're living, we're living. Yeah. 
um, because they showed that trailer at like all the churches I went to and uh, my chapels and stuff. And the only thing I, I was I'm, I was I was intrigued because Rufio was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually never ended up seeing it, but I've seen the trailer a million times, and I've heard the song, which is it's super annoying. Extreme days. Yeah. Um, gosh, man, all I can think about, even while listening to this album, was just like being back in those days where like it was just always around me, but I just didn't like it. And it wasn't because I was rejecting Christianity or anything, but like I just hated that. It was, it was like being forced on me, you know, constantly. I couldn't hang out with somebody and be like, you listen to DC Talk? I'm like, would it kill you if we listen to Blink-182 just once? <laughs> Whatever. Um, but yeah, my, my mom used to get so upset with me because I didn't listen to Christian music. She's like, I just wish you were like your sister listening to Christian music all the time. I'm like, well, I just I just don't like it. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's nothing out there that none of it is. It's not for me. Not that I had like this like supreme taste or anything. It just it wasn't. I don't know. It just didn't vibe. Somehow, I feel like DC Talk with this album rather than trying to just sort of ape what someone else was doing, they somehow managed to sort of capture that zeitgeist, but make a Christian instance of it rather than a Christian parody of it. Yeah, I guess to me, listening to this music, it, it, if it does feel just quintessentially 90s um it feels like mixing grunge into something more poppy something more accessible i want i was i was about to say jars of clay but like jars of clay is a christian band too <laughs> dude jars was okay let's talk about jars for a second jars. i would I, I would love to talk about jars because i actually thought like should we just do jars of clay next week if we can't get fun again like let's do it that'd be cool jars is great i love that album yeah. and um the thing about but the thing about jars i remember reading about them in um in um oh it was some heavy metal magazine mm-hmm. it was a hard rock magazine i can't remember what it was called um it was like, like parade or one of those like it was like something like legit music publication i remember reading a review about their album and talking about them in concert and i thought it was kind of crazy that like here's these these guys with acoustic guitars i have a freaking drum in that first album it's all acoustic guitars um, a couple of drum machines, but no actual drummer mm-hmm. um, are in a heavy metal magazine. And they mentioned that in their in their concerts when they first started that because like their album was so well known, they would play. But like, but that was all they knew. All they had were the songs on their first album that in between like the familiar songs like Flood and Liquid and stuff like that, they would play Sabbath covers. Really? At their concerts. I want recordings of jars of early of like mid nineties jars of clay playing black Sabbath covers yeah. in live concerts. I want to see that. Um, the jars of clay concert. I went anyway. to did not do that. They were, they were performing at a church. That's probably why. Well, <laughs> and when did you see them? Oh, 2000 something, 2002. Okay. So they, 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 they were a shell of the band they used to be by that point because okay. no, because as soon as they plugged in, they lost what they were doing. Like their first album is their only good album. Yeah. So my friend Josh argued with me that Much Afraid is a very good record, but and Kana loves If I Left the Zoo, but anyway, I don't know any of these songs. <laughs> okay, um, no, we should talk about uh, Jurassic Clay Sunday. That's a cool album. I actually listened to Liquid um, 
because it sort of got me in the mood of like 90s Christian bands. Um, so, okay, all right. Um, so let's get into this. All right, I, yeah. do we want to talk really quick a bit? Let's talk a little bit about DC Talk as a band because we, I know we talked about them before a couple years ago, but I just want to give a quick, quick overview of who they are. Okay, tell us who DC Talk is. DC Talk is a trio of vocalists. All right, there's, they're not actually a band. They're three singers. It's Michael Tate, Toby McKeon, and Kevin Max, or Kevin Maxwell. Um, they go by the name Toby Mac. Well, Toby Mac, Toby Maxwell goes by the rap name Toby Mac. The irony of this is that, so it's two white guys and a black guy. Mm-hmm. The black guy is not a rap person. <laughs> he's actually <laughs> yeah. not a fan of hip hop. Yeah. I mean, the background is a gospel singer, but he's actually more of a rock. He's a, he's a hard rock fan. That's what he, that was his kind of music growing up. And in fact, the push to make an alternative rock album came from him, Michael Tate. Um, these guys, as weird as it is, this is probably their best known album. I don't think I, their their previous one. Um, I remember what the name of Free at Last, which was the album that came out prior to this, was the thing that kind of got them really well known. It's kind of weird to say that DC Talk is sort of like the Christian rock world's Beatles because they were not as prolific as the Beatles and they really only have one really good record and you're listening to it. Um, but they started out, so they met at Liberty university in Lynchburg, Virginia. My friend, Josh's sister, Patty went to school with them. She knows them personally very well. I actually know a lot of people who know DC talk. <laughs> I like, I have like two degrees of separation from this band. Um, but the they podcast. formed, uh, it means decent Christian talk is the name of their thing. And they're called that because they started out as a Beastie Boys ripoff rap group. I don't really mean Beastie probably. Boys ripoff. They were just a, they were their first album is called New Thing, N U T H A N G, and it is it is the worst of like radio friendly '90s rap. <laughs> um, you know, Toby Mac. I mean, sorry, uh, uh, Michael Tate. He had the he had the high the high top. Okay. He had a high top fade. Yeah. hairstyle yeah. back in those days and all that so that's how they got their that's how they got their start doing uh rap christian rap then uh free at last they decided to kind of get a little more soulful and they did a little bit more r&b um and a little bit more um somewhat gospel kind of music but it was a little more earthy um and it won grammys it was like a really well-received record but then they went into the studio um to for three years to produce something completely different. And they came out with Jesus freak, um, which, um, as I said, was, was seeking to capture a bit of the grunge zeitgeist at the time, but it's not really a grunge album. There's grunge elements in it. Um, it is very much, it is very, it is, it is, it's really actually kind of hard. I think it's hard to define stylistically what it is because there's elements of, of proper hip hop in it with grunge and alternative rock with gospel music um and with pop rock um um inter, uh, interspersed um there's a uh, there's a really soulful acoustic cover of a charlie peacock song there's a cover of day by day from or an adaptation of day by day from the musical godspell um there's sampling vocal sampling uh, there's a couple of really weird attempts at humor Mm-hmm. in the album um then of course you have the requisite truly awful kevin max spoken word piece at the end <laughs> which is a key feature of all of their albums which i don't understand why it's so bad because that man is a musical genius and his solo work is incredible but anyway 
that's who DC Talk is. They met it. They met it. They met at Liberty University. They are sort of darlings of Liberty University, um, and um, um, and have and have become legendary in the Christian world. Um, all three members now. Uh, DC Talk never record another album after Supernatural. They're they're more like. They're more like pop-friendly follow-up to this, which we talked about a couple years ago on this podcast, and it's terrible. Um, episode's good, though, so listen to that. Um, Michael Tate has gone on to become the lead singer of Newsboys. Toby Mack has, uh, has uh, blossomed into a very well-respected uh, Christian hip-hop artist um, and just hip-hop artists in general um, among certain people. And uh, Kevin Max has done he, – he sang for Audio Adrenaline for a while, but he's also got a pretty prolific um, – um, uh, solo career um, of the three of them I think he's the most musically interesting um, and um, his two first solo albums are all time they should be listened to immediately uh, in just legitimate good music um, and I also have realized that Kevin Max vocally sounds identically to Keelan <laughs> our friend oh, really? Keelan uh, yeah um, uh, yeah so um, anyway so that's just a little brief overview of, of and background of who DC Talk is interesting one thing I've noticed about their style, uh, oh, there are spiders everywhere here. <laughs> um, one thing I've noticed about their style is that they're very um, straightforward. Mm-hmm. As to say, they're not terribly abstract. Um, I mean, there's a lyric where it's like, I just kind of laughed out loud, but now it's just like, you know, that's just that's just what they are. Like, okay, maybe you can help me out. It's more where it starts with sorrow is painful or something. Sorrow is a lonely feeling. Yeah. When I saw that, and then the, and the next, the follow-up lyric to that was... I can't remember the next word, is okay. a painful place. Yeah. This from from Between You and Me. Right, sorrow. which is actually uh, probably the biggest... It was a, a billboard charting song from this album. Right, and it's... it's Yeah, we'll get to it. But I just wanted to point out, like, sorrow is a lonely feeling. Okay, like, it's, it's just very straightforward. Like, that they're not... It's not like a it's not like a super poetic sounding band, you know. This isn't like Nirvana where you have to like decipher what he's saying, and then like you have to kind of use your own feelings to kind of like connect with it and, and to and to uh, uh, engage with it. Um, they really do just sort of like it's 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 a band that really wears their hearts on their sleeves, and it's like very earnest, you, yeah, earnest, and like what you see is what you get, right? Um. And to me, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, and I, and I feel like you know, they, they, there's a song called "Colored People" that's supposed to be about racism. And it and it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh no, that there's a song about racism called "Colored People" and the song uh, "Mind's Eye," which is like basically about faith. I feel like they would have accomplished more with those songs if they were less straightforward. And more abstract, because I don't think it really helps. Because because color people to me feels very um, like a blunt little tool about racism. Uh, and mind's eye, it just feels like they're kind of dancing around the question of how do you prove the faith. So I don't know. Let's get into it. Let's get into let's, it. Let's let's get into it. I think it's because I do want to. Because I I think it, it's a to- I'll just go ahead and say it's a toss up for me of my favorite song on the record either being in the light mm-hmm. or colored people so interesting okay all right yeah. all right so let's get into it so help me god there, there, here's the thing i noticed about christian music from the 90s mm-hmm. 
Okay, this was something I, I, I regularly paid attention because I listened to a lot of Christian music in the 90s, yeah. Christian rock, is that for some reason, when they assembled an album, they always put like the, they always put the real standout song as track number three. Okay. And that the first two tracks are largely throwaway tracks. All right. I don't know why that is, but they Christian records rarely open strong. Is it because Except for Jesus Charles rose on the third day, Chuck? I don't know, but it's always, I mean, it's always, right? There's just, they don't, they, they don't have, it's almost like this, I don't know if it's because like they draw from the same handful of producers, but it's like they have this, they have this philosophy that it's like sort of a slow burn into it. They don't want it just hitching the face right out the door. Because okay. honestly, if I were to assemble this album, Jesus Freak would be the first friggin' track on the record. Yeah. Because it's the thesis statement of the album. Mm-hmm. Um... But we have So Help Me God, which, okay, it's a song. Um, I, it, it, you know, yeah. You know what it, it feels like? If, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm thinking about it because maybe it fits the rhythm of like an evangelical church service, right? You've got your opening prayer, yeah. which is like, you know, here's why we're gathered and just be with us, Lord. So it's like this prayer, like, so help me God to get through what I got to do with this, this album. Yeah. And it's sort of the, it, it's a thing that like, they're doing like while you're still coming in late to church to kind of cover your movement in. I don't know. There's a bit of self-flagellation in it that I thought was just kind of weird. Yeah. I throw myself in mercy for I am the chief of sinners. Come on, man. No, you're not. Come on. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. I, I, I will say there's, there is a recurring, there is a recurring theme throughout this album about a group of, a group of musicians who are on the verge of, I mean, they, they won Grammys, right? So they already got, they're getting mainstream attention. And I think there's this, there's this very real sense of what fame is going to mean for them as Christians. Mm-hmm. And they're young. I mean, they're, they're just, they're, they're only a few years out of college at the time they're recording this album. And so I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure. The, the album reflects a lot of pressure that's either self inflicted or put on them by the Christian world as mm-hmm. like, you're the ambassadors to evangelical Christianity, to mainstream culture. I like and a I think song on the album all about that. <laughs> that actually, what if I stumble is about yeah. that. Okay. Um, but I think like, so help me God, like you hear it, you hear it there too, right? That's where there's that self flagellation piece of like, you know, like I'm the chief of sinners, right? Like I, I need God's help to get through this because all these eyes are on me. Like I think there's just that there's a there's a there's a sense of that in the song. And when I listen to like this song or I listen to when we talk about one of I stumble, I always feel a little like I always want to be like my pastoral, you know, as a pastor, I just want to kind of reach in and be like, you do not need to put this pressure on yourself. <laughs> like you are beating yourself up way too much. Like yeah. don't listen to the Calvinists. Okay. You're I, feel, I felt that a lot through this, throughout this album. Mm-hmm. There's, I feel like that's it's just like a really common throughout like most of their songs. Yeah, I mean, you hear it with you know what will people think, right? And I think that the what's what sucks about it, and I and I hate, I feel like I'm being very PRMC, PRC about this, but I feel like it, it since we have young people listening, and you know, young people sort of take on the ideas of a lot of the music they listen to, especially if they can relate to it, you know, are, are they going to take on this idea of like self-flagellating? Are they going to call themselves chiefs, chiefs of sinners or like, you know, yes. Taking on this attitude of, of, of guilt. Yes. 
as 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 somebody who was of the generation deeply shaped by this album, mm-hmm. yes, it, it doesn't help that a few years ago, a few years later, um, the guys with DC Talk stuck their names to um, a two volume republishing of the of Fox's Book of Martyrs called Jesus Freaks. And I believe I you both, gave me an, a copy of that. I had both volumes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I used to read that all the time, hmm. wow. all the time. Wow. Um, read the stories of the martyrs, right? And in Fox's Book of Martyrs, I didn't realize till years later was a complete, like, complete political. It was an anti-Anglican. Really? It was actually directed against my people. Yeah, because oh Fox is a Puritan, and um, he. Uh, so he recorded all these stories of the martyrs of the of the of the of the saints of the church, and then suddenly he's talking about all the Protestant martyrs that were killed by the Roman Catholic Church, and he's trying to make these connections that they're the real saints, um, yeah. and that you know the the bad guy was the bad guy was the institutional church, particularly the Anglican Church, because they were you know well, my guys did some bad stuff to the Anabaptists mm. um, and others, but um, yeah, you gave me yeah, that second so, volume of uh, Jesus Freak. Uh, when we were in college. <laughs> well, the update though added a bunch of later evangelical people right. to it, right? To kind of take it, so it's, it's it's continuing that that crusade of of sort of a free church mentality. But anyway, the point being is that um, yeah, I, I I definitely took to heart this idea that you know, like I'm called to be a Jesus freak, but I'm also never really going to fully measure up. Interesting. Well, you ready to move on? Yeah, of course. Okay. Colored people. Colored people. So tell me about, uh, you said this is your favorite song in the album. Yeah, it's a toss-up between this and In the Light. Um, I, I, I'm partially, the main reason I like Color People is I love the, I just love the, I love the music to it. Like I just, okay. I just, I just love the sound of the song. Um, yeah, I know you mentioned that this song would benefit from some nuance. Yeah. Um, you have to realize, in 1995, mm-hmm. no one was talking about race issues in the church. In the evangelical church, yeah. no one. Hmm. So, you know these these guys are Southern Baptists, right? So they they and they're going to a Southern Baptist affiliated university. Um, there are two white guys and a black guy. Right, was not happening in Christian music, right? <laughs> Martin true. Luther King Jr. still said it was the, the you know Sunday morning was a segregated hour in in in, Amer- in, in American culture. Yeah. You know that's still the case, right? And this is the thing is is that Toby Mac, Toby Mac created later created you know he created goatee records as a way to start signing black christian musicians and hip-hop artists to to kind of advance that so like these guys are like they're they're the first christian musicians to talk about race in the church Hmm. in any kind of real substantive substantive way this song is like the first statement i don't think it has the luxury of being nuanced they have to be able to say like yo this is a problem yeah um, and I think that some of the earlier record, some of the earlier songs had included stuff about this too. That's something they've always wanted to talk about is the fact that, you know, like there's a, the fact that like Michael Tate is in their group is a novelty is a problem. Hmm. Um, um, the fact that, you know, that the, the one, the biggest champion for hip hop music in the Christian world is a white dude named Toby Mac is a problem. <laughs> um, 
So I think like what you know what this song is doing is um, is is really trying to highlight that. I mean, you know, when I I, I, I grew to appreciate the song more as I got older, uh, particularly as I started getting exposed to like the writings of King, Bell Hooks, some others, and started thinking about race and the role of race in the church. And I really appreciated the overt nature of this song. Um, I, I, you know, I think about the line where Toby Mac raps where he says, um, he says, um, um, a day, uh, what, a day in the shoes of a colorblind man will make it easy for you to see yeah. that these diverse tones that are, that are on top of our bones are a part of our anatomy. That line, colorblind, like, the, you know, that's used now as a way to be like, I don't see race. Yeah, right. I don't see race. But what I think is interesting about their use of that phrase is that's not what they're saying. What they're saying is that, right, if you are colorblind, everything is in sapia tones, right? Like everything's in tones of like shades of, of brown. And so what they're pointing, so what he's pointing out is that if you're, you know, if, when, if you're colorblind, you actually see that our, like, the, the complexity of our skin color and all of that is actually, like, it's, 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 it's not a bug, it's a feature. Right. And I think that's, you know, colorblindness in race discussions now is about erasing our cultural and ethnic and racial differences. Whereas I think this song is about like, no, 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 no. Like, let's highlight that. Like, like that's, mm -hmm. that's an important thing. Like this is, you know, there, it's a part of who we are. Right. And it's, we also get the delightfully creepy line, um, a skin kaleidoscope. <laughs> um, that is a line that stuck out of my mind for decades. Wow. Uh, Cause it is sort of both like, it's a, it's a great horror movie image. Um, <laughs> skin kaleidoscope that should be but, like it also, but again movie. it shows the fact that you know that the, that the human race is you know our skin tones are a you know they're, they're part of who we are and we shouldn't erase those or be embarrassed by them or denigrate one another because of it um and so i think that the song is you know, again at a time when zero people in the church were talking I mean, they went to a school called lynchburg oh my god you know i mean yeah. um you know they they were they were Sorry, I keep doing the microphone thing. I'm, that's probably really annoying. No, that's fine. Uh, um, but they, you know, so they, 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 they're coming out of deep South Virginia. Like, they know this stuff first. Yeah, they went to Liberty they're... University. No. Yeah. So the fact that they're, you know, that they're doing this is, I think, again, like, they're, they're, it's, 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 a, it's a dangerous and touchy thing. But they can do it yeah. because they're like, hey, look, it's, you know, we got a black friend. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um but they're, you know, they're actually kind of living what they're, what they're talking about by being a, you know, and, and it's not like they found like the black guy that they're like, like, again, you would think that the black guy would be the one doing the rap lines, right? You know, like, for instance, there was a, there's a reggae band called, um, oh, geez, UB40. Okay, UB40 is yes. well known for red, red one, and also uh, fools rush in from the slivers. Oh, yeah, they're talking about that. Yeah, so UB40 is a reggae band from London made up of white guys. <laughs> yeah, and there's two versions of red, red wine. Okay, there's there's a there's one there's a regular one, and then there's one that includes dub dub is the typical reggae thing of there's a part you know and the, the dub version has the a red red wine i make a few so fine keep me rocking all of the time yeah so ub40 got criticized for being a reggae band that was made of white dude so they added a black guy and then the later version of red red wine includes that guy's 
dubbing. So it's like we got the black guy to do the proper dubbing stuff. So like kind of keep off our backs. Right. So that's like that was sort of the way the 80s and 90s sort of operated. It was like, oh, we're going to sort of be a you know, we're, we're going to do some tokenizing. Right. We're going to like really double down on it. Right. So the black guy in our group, he's going to be the one doing the rap stuff because that's what black people do. But the thing about DC talk is the black guy in the band is not the rapper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, that's another neat thing is it's like, we're, you know, this is a, this is a group that's trying to do something a little bit different and trying to kind of defy expectations, which I think makes some pretty like shockingly like, you know, they're, they're sort of, they're sort of ahead of the curve, which is weird for Christian music to be yeah. a, ahead of the curve on a few, on some issues, even though like, again, Christian music is not known for its nuance and it's, you know, you know, whatever. But I, again, I don't think the song could afford to be that way. Yeah, I, I, I could see what you're saying. And, you know, I, I, I did take into account that, you know, 1995, so it's going to be different. But at the same time, I still feel like the approach could have been more, I don't know, more, I, I feel like it would have been more impactful and more long lasting if, if it was done a bit more abstractly, if that makes any sense. Um, but I don't know. I, I think what you're saying is right. And, uh, that's, I think it's an interesting take and yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's move on. Uh, Jesus freak. Yeah. We need to talk about it. Move on. No, um, the one thing about Jesus Freak that gets me is when I, is that, and it also kind of bugs me about it, but I think it's it's what they're trying to do is that it completely rips off the drum kick from Teen Spirit. Oh, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. <laughs> but I'm gonna play them back to back right now. It's one of those things where like the difference is very subtle, right? It's gonna, it's like, it's like, it's like vanilla ice, right? Right. <laughs> See that little change, um, completely different. Um, but no, Jesus freak, man. I mean, this was the song that got me into this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta love the, you know, that the bombast and the earnestness, right? Like if we're gonna, you know, like this is a '90s thing, right? If nine, if the '90s is sort of like let your freak flag fly, right? Where you're wear your your subculture on your sleeve just you know be you you know that kind of stuff right like be authentic well shoot if we're going to be christians in, in in media then like let's just double down on it right let's not let's not shy away from it and i think you know this is coming at a time where there were you know probably the the, the there was the so striper right striper is a hair metal band from the 80s it was a christian band and they were sort of known for their whole shtick of like wailing bibles into the crowds and all that kind of stuff um but then they got embarrassed of it when they started getting some you know they got embarrassed of that and they wanted to chase a little more mainstream success and so striper sort of abandoned being a christian band and then they disappeared and then they reunited in the 2000s um so i think that like 
DC Talk is sort of recognizing there's been this trajectory that's happened in the past where Christian musicians are sort of flashing the pan and that they, once they get famous, they sort of abandon it. Bob Dylan also had a born again experience, released a really slow train coming, which is a born again Christian album that, you know, that, that he recorded after his born again experience. And he started to kind of slide away from embracing that. DC Talk decided we're going to go the opposite direction. And now that we're getting some mainstream fame, let's do a song about not only about Jesus, but about like being unapologetic about Jesus and being a freak. And let's embrace that term, you know, I mean, a term that had been known in pop culture, you know, largely through um, um, Tiny Dancer, right? Because there's the the line Elton John sings about, you know, the Jesus freaks out in the streets, right? As a term for um, the, 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 the Jesus, Jesus people. people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and so they, you know, Re-own, you know, own it again. That '70s revisiting thing that goes on with the '90s, mm-hmm. um, and reappropriate it. And so it actually became it became an anthem for a certain generation of Christians. Um, you know, to the extent that a few that uh, that within um, within a few years, um, um, the Supertones would riff on it in one of their songs. Um, you know, so it entered into like a, a place of influencing other musicians um, in the Christian world, and um, and again, it became it was a, it was sort of a generational anthem for for for, for my people. Right. Um, so um, as a song, I think it's a very interesting. It, it's is the first is the the first real instance in the album of the blending of alternative rock, grunge rock with hip hop. Yeah. Um, I read on Wikipedia about this album a while back that that some music historians actually credit this with being like a proper forebear to the new metal genre oh because of the hip-hop refrains yeah that and that weirdly it's one of the rare instances where a christian group actually did something that popular <laughs> mainstream music would sort of pick up on later that they kind of that you know that which I just think is fascinating. I mean, I don't know if you go talk to like Papa Roach, like, oh, do you guys like Jesus Freak? But, but the idea Fred that Durst, like, huge DC Talk fan. I mean, he came from Jacksonville. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, um, but I do think it's interesting that Christians sort of gave a Christian band gave sort of the first like mainstream example mm-hmm. of grunge and hip hop put together. Um, that is interesting. I mean, that kind of happens in extreme days as well, um, which of but course I was around the same time POD like really hit the scene. Right. Again, extreme days is not DC talk. Oh, I thought it was. No, it's just Toby Mac. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, I've got, I've got, I can go deep with extreme days. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a good song. Uh, well, I want to get to I'll just say it's a good song. I think it's catchy. Um, I, I can't, I can't help but to react with twenty twenty one, you know, sensibilities and that like okay, uh, I, I once again I'm listening to an evangelical talk about how oppressed they are. Um, <laughs> which I mean, I guess it it makes sense back in the '90s for a musician who works in the entertainment industry. I, mean, I remember listening to. I remember when, uh, you know, when when you and I uh, had a class with with a, a certain SNL cast member. Yeah, uh, and she talked all the time about like John Lovitz. You know, kind of like joking around with her, fr- friendly in a friendly way, not like 
oppressing her or anything. But like, I remember she said this. It's Victoria Jackson, by the way. I don't know why I'm dancing around it. Who cares? Yeah, I was about to say why. Why are you dancing around the fact that we had a class with Victoria Jackson? I wrote. A, I wrote a profile on her. Yeah, I considered I, her a friend for a minute. <laughs> she like told this story like she was trying to keep it on the down low or something on some set, and then John Lovett saw her. And she goes, "She's a born again Christian." <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Um, so I mean, yeah. I, I, maybe maybe that exists even. I lived in L.A. People weren't, like, shocked when they learned that I was a Christian. I think they were right. more shocked no that they voted for McCain. <laughs> but. Yeah, there's no, shortage of, uh, there's no shortage of evangelical Christians in Southern California. No. People I mean, act like it's like this weird thing, Christian in L.A. It's like, well, Saddleback Church isn't that far away. Yeah, freaking John MacArthur's church is in L.A. Yeah, like, and those churches are enormous. Yeah, I know. Um, so, I don't know. I, it just... It's a good song. I'll I'll leave it at that. It, it is it is very catchy because when it whenever I do but hear it, gotta, it, it stays. But you also got to think though. Okay, like dude, it was a, you know, it, it is a it is a it was a call to arms for a generation on the verge of like thinking that Christianity was lame because for so long Christianity had been lame and some kind of lame. But the you know like evangelical. But the the idea of having some people you know tell you it's okay to just be out there with it right don't like i don't know there's just something there was something about that to me that was both empowering as well as you know doing the baggage that came with it but even now like i still come back to this song and i listen to it and i'm like yeah you know if you're gonna call yourself a christian just be a christian like now don't take it to the oc supertones degree where it was like how militant they freaking got with this stuff yeah um where they would try to shove it down your throat whereas dc talks thing was more like on some level it's just like be a Jesus freak. I mean, I understand embracing it as like an identity. Um, but yeah, you do have all those moments in the song. Like people think, well, people, you know, are people going to think I'm strange? I mean, I guess it's sort of walking through the person's questions, but there is also that sense of, you know, there's an autobiographical element into it, in it. I'm sure. I don't know, man. I, like it, it feels like this whole pursuit is to make Christianity cool. And my whole philosophy for years now, we've even talked about this on an episode. It's like, I don't want it to be cool. <laughs> like it, there are things that don't have to be cool. Right. You know? um, right. And I think that, I think that's why it, it, it just affected me so much. Like when I was a kid getting into that sort of youth culture and f still feeling kind of alienated by it, you know, because Do I you wasn't, feel not only was like not cool enough, outside of Christianity, but now I have to be cool within Christianity. Like that's, I don't know. Do you hear this song as like a sort of a try hard attempt at making Christianity cool? I wouldn't say try hard because I think it is a good song. Um, but I think some people could probably see it that way. I could see why I could see someone make that argument. Yeah, because I, I will say there are times where I listen to it and I'm just sort of like, the lyrics are kind of embarrassing. The refrains are, I think, are really embarrassing. I really don't like them. I really don't like them. <laughs> I think I think Toby Mac's uh, rap rapping in the in the song is is not. Uh... I have I have both of them memorized. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't like it, but I, I like I think the song's cool. Uh, take out those refrains; that'd be probably better. Probably better. <laughs> It's a racist JP. You don't like rap? Uh, no, I don't like <laughs> rap in my Christian music, Chuck. I call it crap with a C. 
um, just like my dad and my grandfather do. <laughs> I used to be that guy. <laughs> All right. All right, let's move on. What if I stumble? What if I stumble? What if I fall? Opens with a Brennan Manning line. Do you remember Brendan Manning? I do. Did he come to he came to PBA once, didn't he? he did, yeah. yeah. He had the patches sewn into his jeans. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I read his book. Was I can't I can't remember which I don't know if it was a ragamuffin. Maybe it was a ragamuffin gossip. No, no, no. It was another one he wrote. Love a, something abandoned. Love with abandoned or something. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think that's the one I because he was that's the one he was like kinda he was promoting. Yeah, he was um, edgy. He was edgy, man. I like him. Edgy evangelical leader. I still like you know, him. He I, smoked yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. He died recently. Died a few years ago, yeah. yeah. Um very sadly. Yeah, he had a huge impact uh on the guys with DC Talk. Even um um what is it? The uh Kevin Max's album The Imposter mm-hmm. is based on the whole album is a concept album based on like a conversation he had with um Brendan Manning. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I learned that a lot of Brendan Manning stuff was kind of affected, which I think is hilarious. Like his, his patch jeans were actually made for him. They wasn't like old <laughs> jeans that he was repairing, but, um, but yeah, yeah. He opens up with that, with the, he opens up with that line. It's a, it's a line I wrestle with a lot. Actually, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who practice Jesus with their lips, but then go on with their lives. Yeah. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I think that's interesting. And I think it's interesting coming from a band uh, who's trying to break into the mainstream, because that would be, I mean, that's, that's like the constant thing flying over your head. It's like, are we going to do something wrong and like lead millions of people astray? There's specific er- sections of the Bible that warn against that, you know? Right. Well, and that, and, and that thing, I mean, it's like, you know, you know, that, 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 like, like, what if I stumble? What if I fall? You know, basically, and it's interesting because I'm pretty sure I'd have to look this up, but I feel like Michael Tate is singing that song. I think he's the primary vocalist on this song. Yeah. Vocals are accredited to all three of them. So I don't know. Okay. The reason I said it, cause I, there's a, there's an element to my, like, you know, you hear like Obama, you hear other black leaders talk about it, that like there's always this pressure when you're the first black man, black person to like be anything that like all eyes are on you and any mistake you make that people then say like it applies to the entire race. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, you know, wondering how much of if, if that element is also in Michael Tate's mind if he's singing some of these lines. But um, um, but there's that there is that element, though, yeah, of, of like if I screw up. If I screw up, what's the world going to think of all Christians? Right. Yeah. And we actually see real world examples of this, right? I mean, how many people are so quick to write off the Catholic Church because of all the, the sex abuse stuff? Even though a rel- it's a relatively small number in the grand scheme of the absolute beast that is the Catholic Church, it's still like bad enough, right? It's a monstrous, horrible thing that calls into question the entire institution. Um, You know, we see the hypocrisy of these, you know, wealthy pastors and we see all, I mean, so, you know, and that it's definitely there. Um, But I do think it's a, it is ultimately why I did not become a pastor. Mm -hmm. Like that was, it was like that. And the fact that I could not like burden myself with like people's problems, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, well, and I mean, you know, now that you mentioned that, I think about the fact that I ran away from my vocation to ministry for a while because of the foibles of a pastor 
yeah. you know, in my, my one of my pastors in immediate life, you know, of, of, of what the the temptations and the pressures that come with that are. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested in I mean, it's interesting coming from you because you you are a priest. So right. like for this, I'm a, Jesus song, freak. I'm a professional Jesus. freak. <laughs> yeah. So like, how does it how does this song affect you as, as, a, as a man of the cloth? Um, I, I mean, I, I feel that it's one of those things where I recognize the sentiment. But I, as I said, when I hear it, I always want to I always want to kind of reach in and grab 19 circa 1995 members of DC talk yeah. and just like sit them down in my office and be like, guys, like you're putting way too much pressure on yourselves. Right. Like <laughs> it shouldn't be like this. Like, yes, it is like this, but it shouldn't be like this. And you should be able to be articulate about the fact that you are a flawed individual. Right. Um, but you know what? I do wonder, you know, and, and, and take the Christian elements out of this and is this is this a similar pressure that people feel given you know like i, I know it's such a tucker carlson meme thing to say this but like but like with cancel culture mm-hmm. do people feel a similar kind of pressure they do you know like just mm-hmm. normal ass people not even christians you know uh some music some some video essayists i follow uh contrapoints and Lindsay ellis um they were both recently canceled oh and they both put out like hour long videos, both about why they were canceled and how they feel about cancellation. And they do both talk about things that like they really want to talk about, but they feel like they can't do it because some audiences probably couldn't like handle it. Right. Or that it's too weird of a subject where like, it like would cause too much controversy and people would like, you know, come for them. So it is something they think about. Yeah. It is right. So there's that. So it's a similar sentiment that that goes on. So if you hear the song that way, right, like it, it actually kind of has a universal appeal. But mm-hmm. it's that. But there's that pressure. So yeah. So like pastorally, I hear it, and I'm just like, man, like it shouldn't be like this. Like we shouldn't be. Like I think about during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic, I had friends of mine who were priests who were posting stuff on who were upset. Or who were like there was this, all this big debate around the Eucharist, right? People were concerned about whether or not we could actually safely do communion. Um, and I remember one of my priest friends posting that they were gonna because so just a little inside baseball here in the Episcopal Church, the general sense is that we don't do communion unless people are gathered. So there's a lot of talk about if we're doing services online, are we doing Eucharist or are we doing something else? Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, a priest is authorized to say mass completely by himself because the understanding is that it's being said, you know, you're never really alone. There's this, you know, it's, it, it's taking place in a spiritual reality and all this kind of stuff. And that's also part of our tradition, too. But the general rules in the Episcopal Church are, you know, are not rules, but sort of the custom is you don't say mass unless you have at least, you know, three people present. Um but I remember I had a friend who said that she was going to say mass by herself in the church because when she celebrates mass, she celebrates it on behalf of all God's people. And like she's saying the Eucharist for everyone. And I've been thinking that is way beyond your pay grade. Yeah. Like you're basically putting it on yourself that like the Eucharist is not being said unless you say it or that like Jesus isn't present in the world unless you make it like that's, that's, that, 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 that's a, that's a, you know, that's, that's really troubling to me that you would think that you're that necessary. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think so. I hear it with that pressure, even though I know that that pressure was is very much real for these pe- folks and for folks nowadays, right? I mean, I feel it, right? Even as a pastor, like there's the you know, but I, actually, I feel it more as a media person than a than a pastor. 
because I feel like as a priest, I can get away with certain things. I mean, I know what my congregation is, but I also know, but I also feel like there's stuff I just can't publish on social media right? because, you know, like people in my own, you know, denomination would get upset with me to say like, because I'm not X, Y, you know, subgroup, I'm not allowed to have an opinion on something, even though like I'm very well read and educated in that field. Um, um, and disciplined in that field. But, um, anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, but I think, you know, but this, this is a song that, you know, it's often, I I also wonder too, you know, it's an autobiographical song for a group of musicians that are on the verge of mainstream fame and feeling the pressure of what that means, you know, but how is it applied to like your average everyday Christian hearing it and putting that kind of pressure on themselves about their behaviors. And I can t- attest to that, you know, I can test to the, you know, the, the thing that would happen every year, I'm sure you experienced this, or you, you, you would go to youth camp and you would get a good healthy dose of guilt and you would feel bad at the end of youth camp and you'd rededicate your life to ministry and do all this kind of stuff. And then you'd get back to school and get back to real life. And then you would kind of get away from that. And you feel guilty that you're like, I'm not reading the Bible as much as I promised I would over the summer. Or I'm not, yeah. you know, whatever. And then you put it all in this place. It's like, Oh, I'm not such a hypocrite. And if people knew who I was, they would just, they would just, they would reject Jesus. So they wouldn't even come to him. And so like, I don't know, just, you start beating yourself up. And I feel like we got a lot of that crap at PBA. Um, yeah, I definitely PBA mm. being Palm Beach Atlantic university, the Christian university that JP and I both attended that I mentioned that in case this is the first episode you've ever turned in. On our show. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's also like, it didn't always come from me. Sometimes it came from other people. Yeah. And that sucked. Yeah. You're not on fire. Like you used to be. I used to hear that a lot. Uh, which is funny, which is like, I mean, it, it makes me angry now. I mean, back then I like took it, I took it seriously, but it makes me angry now because it wasn't true. Um, you should listen to, um, David Bazan's um, curse your brain. Well, curse your branches. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the specific song. I'll probably send it to you. David Bazan is the lead, is the music is the musician behind the band Pedro the Lion, mm-hmm. um, which is a Christian band. Was well, a Christian band. Um, he gained a lot of notoriety because he would cuss in his songs and he talked about heroin addiction and stuff. Yeah. Um, he was really committed to authenticity. Well, David Bazan famously like left Christianity and became an atheist and continued now he's sort of an agnostic but he wrote a whole series of albums under his solo name basically curse your branches is a is an album that is a breakup letter to god mm-hmm. and um but he talks about this one thing where he's like um is his line it says um you used to feel like a forest fire burning um but now you feel like a child throwing tantrums for your turn um, but it's a song about that same kind of thing you're talking about when people say that to him, like, Oh, you used to be this voice of a generation. You used to be this person that like yeah. said it the way I wanted to you used to be so on fire. And now you're just smoldering out. Yeah. Um, I wish I could just go back sort of time and just, like, against it. slap those people because a, they were wrong and B, um, I was better than them anyway. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. Um, cool. So, but, I, wanna... but I will say just one last note on this song, which is way too much time on. <laughs> but is um, I do appreciate though that I think it I think it sort of course corrects the sentiment. I think people miss it when they. I think there's a lot of people who miss the sentiment of the song when it says, um, basically, like, will people have understanding when my walk becomes a crawl? In other words, will they recognize that I'm struggling too? In other words, instead of judging me, maybe realize that I'm going through it just as you are. 
which I think is a real bit of insight in the song that doesn't get that doesn't get enough credit from the people I've known who've talked about this song and what it means. And it's not it's not just about the pressure of I've got to be on my, I got to mind my p's and q's. It's also like I'm a flawed person too that's going through some rough stuff. So maybe you should have a little grace too. Yeah. Um, and um, and I think that and I hear that and I hear that as like in my as, in my personal role and how like, I identify with the song is like you know I I shouldn't be so quick to judge right. when I see people screw up because you know their walk became a crawl just like sometimes my walk becomes a crawl you know right. um, sometimes I'm struggling too so cool all right uh, day by day comes from God's spell. Uh, I don't think there's really much, there's not much I want to say about the song other than it's fun. And I, I have a very vivid memory of myself uh, really rocking out hard on air guitar to this song when I was like. See, that's what I have here on my notes. I said that this song has some of the same goals as Black Sabbath's Die Young, mm-hmm. uh, which is to have a song with lyrics you can like shout along to like at a concert, like the day by day by day by day. I'm like, this is getting repetitive and I'm getting really sick of it. But I'm like, oh, you know, this is something you would play like at a concert. Like everyone's got, like singing in unison, jumping up and down, you know, it's that kind of song. It's the kind of song you would play like in a hostage situation. Uh, <laughs> in a standoff. This, uh. So. You talk about Night of Joy. I went to Night of Joy the, the year that this album came out, or a year after, whatever, and DC Talk played at Night of Joy. And this song was an awesome live. It brought the house down. Yeah, in case you're wondering, Night of Joy was a annual event at Disney World where, Dis- where the Magic Kingdom was just like contemporary Christian music land. There was a which concert so in every corner. Huh? Yeah, which which is so weird considering that like Baptists were still kind of boycotting Disney at the yeah. time. <laughs> But like uh-huh. there was like a concert going on. There were like a, there were simultaneous concerts going on at the same time, like all over the park. It was like, it's like it was a Christian Halloween Horror Nights, you know. <laughs> I saw I saw Sarah Mason in concert there. I saw uh, I saw uh, DZ Talk, seen Newsboys. Yeah, but um, you said the, the Day by Day was a big hit. Big hit live, man. Um, they actually put a, these put on a pretty awesome concert, actually. Yeah. But um, like they would cl- they would like scale the rafters and jump off of things. I mean, they were really acrobatic and energetic in concert. And um, but this song was this is one of those ones like I've, I don't I don't really listen to it very much when I I usually skip it when I'm listening to the album. But like in live, it it goes well. Like it goes hard. Yeah, I, I put on my notes. I can't imagine just listening to this song while driving. Uh, unless you're trying to torture the person in the car with you, uh, yeah. It's I'm I'm not knocking the song. I'm just saying like it's it's not a, you know, it's a concert song. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a concert song. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it probably didn't. Honestly, they probably would have been better served to have scrapped this song from the album and put on their cover of um, um, of um Larry Norman's um I wish we'd all been ready which was the Ooh. B-side to the Jesus Freak single. Interesting. So I w- I think I think that would have been a better song yeah on this album than this but uh, yeah. be- between you and me was the big it was the big uh, billboard charting hit off of this. Um, this might be the song that I actually like, really like. Yeah. Um, even if the the lyrics are kind of like really on the nose. 
Um, like this is the one that says sorrow is a lonely feeling. Like <laughs> yeah, sorrow is a lonely. But feeling. I like lyrics like if confession is the road to healing, forgiveness is the promised land. I think that's that's a that's a positive thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it. I like the song. It's nice and catchy and yeah. It might not be like the one that they wanted to like you know be famous for because it's the most christian sounding one you know what i mean it's the most it's the most christian music sounding one it's not necessarily it's not very subversive right it's um, very adult contemporary yeah amy but, grant could, could have done this yeah probably um, um but i i think it, even despite that it's still i think it still works as a really good song so. well what's funny is i think i think the deal is is that um it's it, i think the reason that it got mainstream radio play is that it's like the least like lyrically christian like it's just sort of a sure. general like positive sounding song yeah um which you know it makes me which makes me think about all the christian radio stations that advertise themselves as positive hits z88.3 positive hits like we're not talking about jesus but we're talking about how we're positive yeah way fm which is yeah for, which for the whole family to, for the whole family right you know, I've, I've preached on that a few times yeah oh, really? the idea that it's safe for the whole family and it's like <laughs> oh how far christianity has fallen where it used to be and in many places still is practicing this thing will get you killed and you and your entire family killed, but it's safe. It's safe. Right. Um, but I, um, um, I remember when this song first showed up on mix 105.1 in Orlando and I was like, DC talks on the main radio. They're not on the Christian radio. Yeah. And then I was like, but it had to be this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how I, that's how I reacted when I first heard skillet on a, uh, just a regular radio station, yeah. Yeah, Skillet, a new metal Christian band that I yeah that I, I remember Skillet. I kind of dug. <laughs> I, I dug them for a little for a little bit too. Them and Bleach. Yeah. Anyway, between you and me, good song. Yeah. Good positive song. I dig it. I like it. Uh, which is weird. You think like the one I'd probably gravitate to more was like the one that's trying to be the least like a Christian song, but no, like I think the most Christian one on there is probably the one I like the most. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I'm just getting old. He's like, you like you like your soft hits, man. I, I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of Carly Rae Jepsen late, lately. Uh, have you really? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I, I think you spend too much time near the weed, dude. <laughs> I'm not using it, I promise. I know, you're just growing it, but it's got to like get in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. All right, are we ready to move on? Yeah, like it, love it, need it. Okay, so I really... I don't. What are these lyrics, dude? I don't know. This is another one that I think it, it was awesome to see him play it live. Just, it's just filler on the album. It's, <laughs> this Fountains of Wayne sounding lyrics, like dude, when I was when I was in seventh grade, this was like the hardest hitting rock I'd ever heard, and I was <laughs> so into it. But now I'm like, listen, I want to just read lyrics of this first verse because this first verse I had to pause it and re-listen to. It. I'm like, what? <laughs> Under these circumstances, they can hardly cope. Notice their fleeting glances and their lack of hope. I offered this suggestion. They don't seem to care. Oh, this is my generation <laughs> drowning in despair. Oh, <laughs> what? Listen, oh. if you were like a punk band and you were doing like, I, I get it. But it's like, he imagine someone like singing a song about like their, their ancestors dying in the Holocausto. Like, <laughs> do you know what this you know what this reminds there's something about this song that kind of makes me think of um of uh 
I think occasionally Toby Mac felt the pressure to like do a non-rap song because I think this is sounds like because every every DC talk because uh, Supernatural has one of these too. It has that awful punk sounding song. Where they sound, um, they sound more like Fountains of Wayne when they're trying to do it. Yeah, and but you know what it makes me think of is um, every Goo Goo Dolls album. Johnny Riznick allows his brother to sing one song, and it's always a mistake. <laughs> and it just, this, I just think of that whenever I hear like, the, like when they when when DC Talk tries to do sort of a punk esque yeah thing. It's I don't. Mm. This one, I will say this there this song in like Day by Day maybe Day by Day I still feel like is a little bit more on brand for them because it has yeah you know it comes from Godspell, but um, this. Um, this song to me feels like it just really smacks strong of like intervention from the Christian recording industry. Yeah. I'm listening to this. This is the part where I was just like, come on, man. Uh, you'll never find the, 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 the repetition of you, you'll never find peace of mind. You'll never find peace of mind in your pool of self and a sea of wealth and your rock and roll. If you sell your soul, I'm like, this is so like, I don't know. This is so, this is very preachy. That's what I'll yeah. call it. Preachy as hell. Uh, yeah. This idea that like you're, you know, passionate. They even say like you're not going to find peace of mind in a hippie commune. Like I think you probably would, uh, <laughs> but, but, I. I, I that's, that's Jerry Falwell coming out right there. Pretty much. That's what I think. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't I really didn't like. I really didn't like the song. Yeah, it's 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 one that when I was a kid, like I loved it because I loved that. Like you know, it was more of a hard rocky. Yeah sound yeah, yeah here's the thing is is that i i, I actually like I, I like this album a lot um i've come to gr- i've grown to appreciate it more as i've gotten older but there's like standout tracks that i really appreciate listening to it as a whole sometimes is, is a chore um but i grew actually kind of grew tired of dc talk pretty quickly within like less than a year because because they introduced me to alternative rock i started like seeking out other stuff and it was shortly thereafter that i discovered mxpx and punk oh, okay yeah. and then I was sort of like, oh, these guys don't hit hard anymore. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and so, like, this was one of those songs that at the time I was like, Ugh! and then I then I discovered all the, like, Tooth and Nail Records output, and I was just like, I'm over here now. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Is that all we want to say about Like It, Love It, Need It? Like It, Love It, Don't Need It. Nope. <laughs> uh, the reprise is Jesus Freak. <laughs> so much fun. It was really funny. I actually really laughed at it. I think it's a great bit. This is and it's very much for people who like grew up in church. Like I don't think and I'm almost and I'm almost positive this was Michael Tate. <laughs> almost positive. Um I in fact Chuck, I wish we could end every episode of Music Mayhem with something like this. <laughs> um but I don't know. It's it's funny. I I think it's just really funny. It, it, those of you listening if you haven't heard it or whatever, it's like basically sort of recreating like that time if you went to like a like a pretty conservative church with like a really how would you describe the music chuck like very it's very it's it's sort of righteous <sighs> gemstones <laughs> really. yeah it's, it's <laughs> very televangelical a, a polyester suit with like one of those like long um you know, uh, Price is Right microphones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Glory. Who, yeah, he's he's been brought in. It's like a special service, right? Yeah. It's like a Thursday night. This like this uh, this gospel crooner. Yes, gospel with crooner. Big Perfect. hair. Yeah, I big love it. hair has been. You know, he's he looks kind of looks a little bit like Conway Twitty. Like you brought him <laughs> in, 
and he's in his he's in yeah some kind of powder blue or light or tannish you know polyester suit and he's singing those gospel hits man like you know he's probably got a woman with him who's got some cat eye glasses and a beehive hairdo she's playing a Hammond organ behind there yeah yeah but this is the part where he's getting he's he's playing something that's kind of cool with the kids but it's his version of it right so he's and that's and then it gets to the part where he's like how many people here from shelby county this evening <laughs> yeah and then it, the, the, they, they, yeah the, the glory part is what made me laugh because like i just i've been to you know I, I grew up going to charismatic churches so it's like when there's when they can't when they get sick of repeating the same lines they just start saying things like glory and hallelujah and sway your hands and they work that into the song so like and he's also slightly off key yeah <laughs> yeah the, the impression who i would love to know precisely who they're mate who they're impersonating because you just know that they came up with this voice while yeah. they were at liberty so was there <laughs> one of their like liberty like what was one of their musicians like ch- like chapel musicians who sounded like this guy and this is who they're like there's a story here and i want to know it right <laughs> It's like funny. is this what Jerry Falwell sounded like? Is this what Jerry Junior, what Jerry Senior sounded like when he sang? <laughs> That's great. I mean, just think about it. they went to Liberty University, so they had to go. They had to go to the to the church. Yeah. As part of their stuff. So how many times did they have someone coming from out of town who did this kind of crap? <laughs> you know. I, yeah. It just it just reminds me of like all the Dallas churches I went to as a kid because that's yes. just what they all they all sounded like that. Um, um, cool. All right. Next one. Uh, In the light the song so yeah, tell me why why do you like this song well this this was one of those songs i never listened to much when i first heard the album and then um I, so i would go through these bouts as a teenager where i would listen especially later on where i'd listen to a lot of non-christian music and then i'd have people make me feel guilty for that like you got to have the christian music or you know you know you're you're impoverishing your soul not listening to it or whatever yeah. um and so, like, I go through these moments where I felt, like, very revivalistic. And so I would put on Jesus Freak to try to, like, get in touch with my roots or whatever. And I, re- I remember, particularly right around the time I started surfing, I was getting into more of, like, like Bob Marley and just earthier instrument, like, you know, acoustic guitar type, rhythmic type, you know, sounds. And I remember when I heard this song sort of anew for the first time after many years, and I thought, wow, like, this sounds this sounds like the kind of thing I'm thinking like, this is a much more of a, it's really hard for me to put into words what it is, but there's just like a, it's an organic sound to it. Um, that to me feels more like a, like, like something like Ben Harper or, or those kinds of, that kind of music would be, you know, that kind of quasi hippie type stuff. I don't know, but it's, it, it, it's an inspirational song. I just I like the earthy guitar. I, I've actually tried to teach myself this song guitar for many years. The strumming technique is really hard hmm. on this song. Um, if you listen to the strumming, it's like this weird like um, like triplet thing. It's it's I I can't master it. Um, so it's got like a very interesting guitar piece in it that has a sort of like a a reggae a reggae rhythm, but the strumming is much more complex than typical reggae. Yeah. Um, and of course the beat is not reggae cause it, it, it's not a reggae song, but there's just something to it that has that kind of quality. Um, but um, I think it's a very interesting song in terms of its musicality. I love the lyrics. I think they're, 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 they're the good kind of inspiration. Um, I think it's also one of these songs that it could have played, you could put this song on some non-Christian album and you might, you know, 
there's gospel i guess the thing is there's gospel elements in it like gospel music elements in it that i really like that doesn't sound like you know typical christian music or whatever and it i know it it sounds to me more like when when someone who is like a very spiritual person who produces music um and they try to let their spirituality get into their music and i'm thinking of like a cat stevens or something like that um there's a or like bob marley or whatever there's just something or like again it's like an organic quality to the way the music sounds and to me this song sounds like that okay. it sounds like authentic like i think it might be the most like spiritually authentic moment on the album um because it's not trying to push anything I think it's the, I think it's 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 an honest moment of like I'm not worried about fame I'm not worried about what people think of me as a Christian it's just I'm being I'm just being very honest with the fact that I just want to be in the light as you are in the light right. like that's what I want I want that um, and so like it 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 just hits me every time I, I I hear it I just I love it I love the song I mean I thought it was a good and catchy tune but it, it again wades in the territory that always bothers me which is the self-flagellation stuff like the disease of the self runs through my blood it's a cancer fatal to my soul yeah every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control right and i i could see where you're coming from chuck but it's just i don't know maybe it's just my own personal version because it's like i felt like that was kind of my idol when I was an evangelical mm-hmm. was this sort of self-loathing, this sort of like, I'm never good enough. This like the very things that they sing about in this album a lot. <laughs> and so I'm very yeah. like, I don't know. I, I just get like, like alarms go off when I hear things like the disease of the self. Yeah. It's very yeah. Calvinist. Yeah. I, um, I remember, um, being almost a decade ago now, it was shortly after I moved back to South Florida. Um, Keelan and I met up with um, some some PBA colleagues who were of that Jesus hippie enclave that were so popular at PBA. Right. You know, yeah. you know, I don't want to name names, but um, you know what I'm talking about. Right, the wealthy kids who would like you know jump on trains and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I remember one of them. We, we were meeting for beers at, at O'Shea's, and he was just talking about how broken he is, man. Just the, you know, just come with the fact that I'm broken and just being broken. It just I, if I heard the friggin' word broken one more time, I was gonna, I was gonna break something. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I think I went home and actually journaled about this because I was just so like appalled, right? You know, I just come from Virginia Seminary and I'm you know freshly ordained priest, and it was just you know having been in a in an environment where talking about our relationship with God was not in terms of how we are flawed, damaged, broken people beyond fixing. Right. It was more like, yeah, we're broken sort of like we're damaged, dented, whatever. I don't like to say we're broken, right. Broke, you know, we're dented or whatever, if you want to say that spiritually, but like the whole idea is that like, God doesn't find us appalling. (laughs) Like, you know, God, I mean, that's, that to me is the the thing getting back to uh, for a moment talking about, um, uh, uh, the last temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing that really strikes me about the way that they get Jesus in that movie, and I think is so refreshing is that Jesus actually seems to like people. Right. Yeah. And he's not trying to like, like if he's pissed off, he's pissed off at the way people are being exploited and it comes out of his love for people. Like that just seems really strong. And like, you get the sense that like 
William Defoe, Jesus could hang out in my office and like we'd have like a good time just talking. <laughs> and I would probably learn a lot about myself. And I'd come away from the experience actually feeling better about myself. Right. And I feel like the Jesus that comes across in a lot of the Christianity that we were exposed to in our childhood is a Jesus who doesn't necessarily make us feel good about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And why I, I mean, while, while I still like this song and I, I, I hear it a little bit differently Maybe I should pay a little more attention to like that that sense of you know because I don't I don't hear it as a browbeating thing anymore, hmm. um, you know I, I definitely you know I have my moments where I'm like, you know like I'm 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 not I feel selfish or you know whatever and I just really want to just be in the light right now, yeah. but I um I definitely feel like you know it does come from a version of the faith that is troubling. And is a problem that like the idea that we would think that like we sort of have to get our affairs in order before we would encounter Jesus. Right. Right. Whereas Jesus is like, look, I already know. He's like, I know all the, I know all the crap that's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't hide it from me. And you know what? I still like you. Right. Right. Like I don't like you in spite of anything. Like I, I like you. I love you as you are, right? Like, I don't like, you know, you can you, you can improve yourself and your behaviors or whatever, but, like, fundamentally, the person that you are, that's the person that I like, you know? Um, and um, anyway, that's that's a kind of a rant, but... Oh, well, it is it is a good song. I just feel like maybe the person singing it should get some therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, the thing is, one thing I, I have not brought up is I have a friend who was in a band who toured with DC talk during this time and brother, does he have stories (laughs) really? And that the, the, the stumbling, the struggling, all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He got to experience firsthand actually what they're talking about. What have we become? This this is where the album takes a kind of a weird self-loathing turn. It really does. Here. This is this is more like navel gazing, like turbo powered navel gazing. That's my notes. Yeah, uh, like I said, you know, I, I, and because of their it's, straightforwardness, it's like unavoidable. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you, like I said, if you, if you just inject some abstract and some, you know, some some poetry in there, it probably wouldn't be as yeah, this is the one that opens. This one for the people. Yeah, that's the one. This one for the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I don't have much to say about this one, dude. I, I didn't really. Yeah, it's another one of those ones. I, even when I had the album, I just sort of like skip. <laughs> because I like Mind's Eye. Mind's Eye is, is interesting. Right? It's got a Billy Graham uh, sample in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because it's it's basically just about about it's addressing faith right like right. what what is faith and how do you prove faith and well i like the idea that he uses mind's eye which is an eastern concept right mm-hmm. right which is not something that like my baptist upbringing would have been okay with because that's eastern mysticism we don't talk about eastern mysticism but they're using the language of eastern mysticism the mind's eye is a buddhist hindu concept yeah that's true um and they're using that to talk about faith i think that's very interesting um, and it's it's interesting t- for for uh, as a as a premise for them to address because their lyrics are so straightforward. This is what I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier. It's 
I feel like when we talk about faith through art, it makes more sense in the abstract than it does just being like, no, no, you, you just got to have faith. Faith is it's like the wind. Even then, like, you're, you're, it's, it, that's why I think it's interesting they put in that Billy Graham quote about, like, you know, I can't see God, but I, but I, like, I can't see the wind, but I know it's there. I'm like, even that is still pretty abstract. It's not very, like, a straightforward like, on, on, on the nose thing. You're, and you're right. And you're, you're, actually, you're actually identifying a key problem with a lot of Christian music. Mm-hmm. I was going to say of the 90s, but just in general, is that the Christian recording industry has the, the – well, famously, there is in – in order to sort of be qualified for a lot of these Christian record labels and other things, there is what is – and for Christian radio in particular, there is what's called the Jesus per minute factor. Mm-hmm. Where you have to like, you're, there's a requirement for things to be like overt, blunt statements of faith, or whatever. So, part of the problem with all Christian music is it doesn't actually allow for vagueness and nuance because the the, the pressures are there. So when they're producing these things, like even if the artists want to do that, they get pressured away from it. It's one of the reasons why MXPX left um, Christian recording. That and the fact that. Um, Brandon Ebel of Tooth and Nail had like 1950s era approaches to how people got paid. Um, Gosh. But um, uh, I mean, that's why I mean, that's what so many I mean, what was it? Friggin' uh, Page of the Lion ended up they had a one record deal with Tooth and Nail and left. Um, Tooth and Nail, in case you don't know, is like a legendary right. indie Christian indie record label. Um, um, but they, um, I'd love to do a Christian Curiosities on them, by the way. Um, but they, we, we um, did do one at Christian Punk. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned Tooth and Nail in that one. Yeah. Tooth and Nail was, uh, you know, as, as Brandon Ebel said, he was the founder of Tooth and Nail. He said, my goal was, was, le- was, I was less interested in making Christian music and instead making good music for Christians to listen to. Right. Kind of um, Sorry, but anyway, uh, but I think that that's part of the problem, though, is that and that, you know, that's one of the things why when we listen, you know, we listen to well, like U2. OK, U2 is a Christian band. Like, let's just acknowledge something that people don't talk enough about. Right. U2 is a Christian band. They started as a Christian band. They began their career um, performing in like Christian coffee houses in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, but because they're Irish, it's a very different brand of evangelical Christianity than American evangelicalism. And so they've always had kind of an uneasy relationship with. Uh, evangelical Christian recording industry. But you can listen to like Where the Streets Have No Names, which is a song about heaven. Like you can listen to that song and you're like, that is an awesome song because there's nuance, there's interpretation, you know, there's all of that kind of stuff. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's a song about faith, right? Yeah. But the rec- But the Christian recording industry won't allow for that kind of lyricism, right? It has to be overt. It has to be blunt. It has to be specific. And it creates the... And it winds up creating the the single problem that affects the Christian music world as much as the comic book industry, since we talked about them earlier, which is that it becomes it becomes circular. Who are you actually producing the music for? Are you producing the music for non-Christians to listen to? Or are you producing the music that is going to score you points with the Christian recording industry? And so ostensibly, you're making music for other Christians rather than as an evangelistic tool. It's like with comic books, right? If you're not going to put comic books at borders, Borders isn't around anymore. Never mind. If you're not going to put comic books out at Barnes and Noble or in grocery stores and stuff, and you have to go to a comic book store to get it, who's, there's no way you're going to get any readers, right? It becomes a circular thing. So you're producing the stuff just for the people who are already buying the stuff that, that you're making. Um, and so, like, so I think like that's I think you're so again like you're identifying 
a problem that's not exclusive to this record, but is a problem for like all of Christian recording. Hmm. And it seems to be that Christian artists that are not from America somehow managed to escape it because you two managed to escape it. Yeah. Newsboys is allowed to be weird as hell. Yeah. I mean, entertaining um, angels. Like we, we talk about that song a lot or we just mentioned it. Like that song is, that's a beautiful song and it has to do with this very sort of abstract sort of style of lyrics. Right. And it, it actually has to do with the, if you listen to it, it's a song about a guy coming to faith after seeing mess after seeing, um, an evangelistic message on television. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like they, you know, they're allowed to, you know, somehow they're allowed to do weird lyrical musical stuff, but DC talk, I guess, I don't know. The, the pressure was on them to be so. ambassadors to the thing. So they had, they couldn't be nuanced or, you know, lest somebody get the message wrong or whatever. So, um, but I think my eye is a really strong song. And I actually think about the Billy Graham quote a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, what a way to, what a way to close the album. Cause there's nothing else on it. Nope. <laughs> there's, uh, there's no other, uh, tracks on, uh, uh, wait, 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 wait a second, Chuck. Uh, I believe uh, there what? is, there is one more track. Um, I believe it's the, was it wishing well? Interesting. And did they do a cover of wishing? Well, that's <laughs> no, there no. is a secret song. I don't even remember how it went, dude. I, I listened to, I, here's the, I listened to this album like a, a few times just so, so I can nail down my thoughts. Um, I heard it the first time and I was like, you know what? I'll just skip that one from here on out. My <laughs> requisite on, you know. On, on more 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 listenings, uh, it's know. a spoken. It, it's one of Kevin Max's terrible spoken word, or Kobe Max, one of their terrible spoken word pieces that yeah. they seem to show shove in there. And uh, I remember, I think this is the first time I ever learned about a secret song because yeah. I was listening to this on my CD player, and I was like, "Why is it still counting? Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on?" And I just let it play, and then I was like, "Oh, there's a song at the end of the CD because it's after like you know six minutes of." silence or whatever yeah well but, my my the, notes are um hold on let's see Try and let me, uh, ah here we go meh <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why it's a secret song yeah this is uh, this is something used to certify to 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 uh, uh satisfy was it toby mac who does them I don't know who does them. It's one of them. It's either Toby <laughs> Mac or Kevin Max. Um, yeah, you do your spoken word thing, but it's got to be a secret trick. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to let you do it. You have to hide it. <laughs> <sighs> they don't even like it. I don't know. We don't oh, have to talk about to it. it. Well, I mean, there's probably a reason why the three of them haven't been a band for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Chuck. Yeah. Best song on the album. Say it's a toss up for me between In the Light and Colored People. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to say, I'm probably going to go, it's probably going to inch toward Colored People because In the Light is actually a Charlie Peacock song. Um, okay. Yeah. And Colored People also has like no self flagellation in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. But um, I like it. And also, I just think given the current, given the current climate of our world, it's still a relevant song. Yeah. And it's sad that it's still a relevant song. This came out in 1995. Right. You would think that by, you know, within that time period, we could 
figured something out. But anyway, um, for me, I think it's uh, between you and me. Now, tell me what, what what is it? Uh, I know it's just it's, what song is it? It's, between you have you to and keep me. a secret. No, no, that's the name of the no, song. I, I know what it's it is. between you and me. I mean, what's the song? Between you and me. What's the song? Between you and me. <laughs> this bit is now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, and 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm being a, a total basic bitch, um, but. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's the one that that I that I enjoyed the most. I mean, other than like the comedy, like the Jesus, Jesus Freak reprise. Now maybe that's the best song. <laughs> DC Talk just really missed it. They should have been a comedic. Group. Yeah, yeah. Um, put a whole album just spo- like give me that character for a whole album. <laughs> I don't have. Why don't we have like a reoccurring character? And why is he not that guy? Um, I don't know. I, Maybe well, did should. I ever tell you I had this idea? Do you, I hate when I have like ideas and they come to me too late to be of any use. Um, it was after it was after I was at Holy Trinity Episcopal Church, which of course is like a block and a half away from PBA, that I realized I totally should have come up with a college group thing called the Family Fellowship Night, and I should have sold it all as like a wear your best polyester, like. <laughs> It's a youth group sing-along type 70s youth group yeah. experience with like a character like this or somebody like this doing this kind of music. You know, people walking around the room and putting Bibles in between people dancing and being like, leave room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I wish I had done that. Yeah. I feel like, that's, I feel like that, that, that aesthetic, though, could work as a thing for us. I think it could. You got to walk on a fine line, though. You don't want to rip off. Same location. You don't huh. want to rip off good Christian fun because they kind of corner their market on Christian satire there. I know. Well, screw them. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that that's my decision uh, between you and me. I think it's the best song on there. Um, yeah. I mean, you and... people is good. Hot 100 agree, so... What? Did you and the Billboard Hot 100 agree? Because exactly. it was like, what, number three on the Hot 100? I'm, I'm still a top 40 uh, kid, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, so general thoughts. I, you know, it's, it's funny because when I think of this album, I think of the like five or six real standout tracks, right? Jesus freak colored people between you and me, um, uh, in the light, you know, things like that. Um, you know, when you listen to it as a whole, it's like, man, there's actually a lot of filler and like second rate crap on here. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of remarkable that this album is so legendary because, the whole thing is not good. Right. Right. It, I mean, I think the, the songs that are good are good. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that aren't are kind of, you know, they're forgettable. Um, but I still, I'm still kind of blown away at what a seismic event this album was. And it's kind of weird to think about why, because again, like when it's all taken together, like musically, because it came out around the same time, which is a news always take me to your leader. Like musically take me to your leader is like a better record, but it didn't have nearly the impact that Jesus freak did. Right. Um, and, um, and I'm not exactly sure why, maybe because it didn't have the song Jesus freak, which was, uh, just totally a rallying cry. Um, it was probably a a PR thing. Like they just had better PR, you know, probably. 
too. And it also came out first, right? And this, I mean, it just, I don't know, like, there just hadn't been anything, there hadn't been anything produced on the, on the sort of Christian mainstream that sounded like it. And so it just, it just hit, and it just hit at a right moment for a certain generation of people. Um, and, you know, it showed a Christian group that had already had a following, stretch their creative wings a bit and come and step out and do something really radically different. And they were never able to follow it up um, with anything even remotely close. Um, and then they broke up. Um, but I, uh, they've recorded, they've recorded like two or three songs as DC talk since then, but, and they have a cruise, right? They have a, the the cruise. I don't think that did it. I don't think that actually ever happened. It didn't. I think they canceled it. They announced it and people got so mad (laughs) because they hyped it. This whole thing. It was like, they kept putting up the Jesus freak logo on their website and people were like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be like a reunion tour. This is going to be something. And then it was like frigging cruise and people were mad. I remember when uh, my friend, Sean, Sean Scott, uh, coffee shop purveyor um he laughed when he found out it was a cruise like he i came into the coffee shop one morning and he was just like it's a cruise <laughs> we've been <laughs> we're gonna do um but um i i mean i still think like it you know it's its reputation is greater than the actual thing itself mm-hmm. um but i still unapologetically love much of it and listen to it pretty regularly like i said I, I i i paid good money for the vinyl pressing of it a couple of years ago and i still put it on um and you know and it, yeah a lot of it's a nostalgia buzz but i think you know a few songs are musically really solid and um and i still think that you know it's amazing that they were ahead of the curve on jesus freak with what they were doing musically um and christian music was different after this album um, and I, you know, it's very few things that have that kind of impact, um, on a, on a, on a subculture or a culture. Um, you know, there's a, there's an almost universal, um, acknowledgement of this thing for a certain generation. So, um, so I just think, yeah, it's weird. It's just a weird sort of generational t- touchstone for people. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you missed out on it, apparently, but I mean, well, yes and no. Because I feel like I, I I lived in the culture it created, yeah. You know, which I have very conflicting theories, uh, very conflicting feelings about. Because on one hand, there was a lot of positive, you know, making some really good friends and having really good experiences, healthy experiences that you know sort of helped shape who I am today. But also <laughs> some very bad experiences and 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 bad influences and and certain things I walked with I walked away from that are still kind of with me, even though I try very hard to overcome them. A lot of anxieties and stuff that I feel uh, that this culture is responsible for. Um, so it's it's conflicting. Um, but as far as the album itself goes, you know, I, I it um. I don't know. For some reason, it just doesn't stand out to me um, in terms of like 90s music. It feels like it's all part of the 90s mold. And it's going to kind of disappear into that mold once we stop talking about it. Um, I, I can't really see myself revisiting it unless I'm trying to be like nostalgic or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, but for I mean, I, I see why it was so popular. It, it did. It did break a certain mold. Uh, in terms of the Christian music industry and stuff. And um, there's some 
really good songs in here. And, 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 I, and I, I think that if you were not necessarily plugged into Christianity, you weren't like a regular churchgoer and you listened to a lot of music and something like this came up and you would have learned that it was a Christian band, you would probably be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know mm-hmm. they could sound like that. That's actually pretty cool. And uh, probably vice versa. You were thinking like, I didn't know we could sound like that. <laughs> I didn't know that we could be cool. Uh, so I could see I could see that appeal, and I and I and I think that that's that's probably really meaningful for a lot of people back then, and probably something they really needed. Um, yeah. I- and these I, and days, I feel like... I, these days, I don't see the the obsession with wanting to be validated. Uh, but whatever, that, that's that was then. That's what they needed, and I think that was that was a good thing. Yeah, and I think too. Aside from that weird the, the weird piece about that, I guess that's I guess that's a, a thing that sort of interests me in the okay. So like I said, like the three big albums from this from this era were, um, from my perspective, were. Take Me to Your Leader by Newsboys, Jesus Freak by DC Talk, and um, Jars of Clay's self-titled um, debut album. And I feel like of the three of those, DC Talks, this one feels like it's the one that's definitely trying to seek validation, hmm. whereas the other two don't care. Yeah, They just want to do their thing. Um, and so even though DC Talk is is kind of doing something that's, odd, that's, that's out of the ordinary for, for Christian musicians of the, of the time, which is to try to do something new musically rather than just recreate what was already, you know, create a Christian version of what was on the radio. Um, which is, I think is similar to what jars and, and newsboys are doing. Um, the two of the, those two bands seem like they're kind of comfortable with being what they are. Um, Whereas, yeah, DC Talk seems like it's part of some machine that's trying to be like, this is it. This is our, this is our instance that we're going to send out into the real world. Yeah. And so we need that to be our, we need, you know, we need it to be that. And so it's, yeah, so it's, it is seeking a certain validation that artists, other artists probably didn't need at the time. Um, so okay. maybe it, it's sort of like the, you know, yeah, I don't know. But I think I think I think you have valid insights to it. So cool. Okay, well, that was Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Next week we will be. I have no freaking clue. <laughs> Should we just do jars of clay? Just keep this going. I'm down. Still, I it. love that album. It's one of the it. few albums that, like, I think every single track is solid. Yeah, and you know, I actually don't remember hearing DC Talk on the radio. Uh, when I was a kid, I do remember Jars of Clay hitting the radio when I was a kid. Yeah, Flood was yeah. Flood was a mainstream, was a crossover success. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. I, I remember really liking that song when I was a kid. I haven't, I don't remember the other. I, mean, I remember Liquid. Liquid's a great song. Mm-hmm. I love Liquid that song. Liquid is a great song. Um, so yeah, I think we should do it. Let's listen to Jars of Clay. Yes. Cool. So go listen to Jars of Clay. Come back next week and listen with us. And like Jars of Clay, like the name of the album is Jars of Clay, not yes. just like some random Jars of Clay album because right. most of them suck. You want the first one. Yeah, totally. Where they have the long sleeve, they have the baggy long sleeve t-shirts and they're standing in front of like an empty swing because it was the 90s and this is the weird stuff they did. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so Chuck, thank you so much. You're welcome so much. And uh, thank you audience for, for listening and watching. Uh, don't forget to subscribe and all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you next week. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey.